Hello and welcome to LPO Offstage. I'm Yolanda Brown and this is the podcast that gets inside classical music and beyond with the wonderful musicians of the London Philharmonic Orchestra. In today's episode, recorded backstage at the Royal Festival Hall, which is abuzz with activity. So forgive us if you hear some background noise, but it's great to be in this creative space. I'm going to be finding out how things have changed in the orchestra over the years and how you weigh up youth and experience. I'm joined by double bass player Laura Murphy and horn player Gareth Mollison. Great to have you back on the podcast, Laura, and welcome, Gareth. Hello. Now, Gareth, can I start with you? When did you join the LPO? I joined in 1986, quite a while ago. (laughs) Before I was born. (laughs) (laughs) Scary. (laughs) I was second horn for over 20 years. And now? And then I was promoted to fourth horn. Fourth, I definitely have a question about that later. Mm-hmm. But first of all, uh, let's get a grounding. Laura, how long have you been in the LPO? Um, I joined the orchestra in February 2020, so just before the pandemic. I remember yeah. now. Yes, yes, and we've had you on before. Yeah. What's it been like being in the hustle and bustle of it all now? Oh, it's been fantastic. Well, a quick fire question then to kick us off. Gareth, across those glorious years that you've been here in the orchestra, what's one of the biggest changes that you've seen in the orchestra since joining? It's hard to say. Most of the changes have come outside the orchestra, living in London with congestion charging and can't park these days. I used to drive into work and could park at the festival hall or where we rehearsed. So now I go on the train, which is great because I can read my book. So that's, yeah, but that's a real big change. And Laura, apart from the fact that now, you know, you've got audiences in the hall and you've done your full season, what has been one of the biggest changes you've seen? We have slightly less rehearsal now, do you think? I mean, this season in particular, that's kind of post-COVID. Less tours, but there are going to be some international ones in the autumn this year, but certainly less than the orchestra used to do or was planning on doing before it it all got cancelled so I'd probably say those are two distinct changes in the short time that I've joined and I want you to cast your memory back even further if you can briefly what was your journey into playing the horn Gareth and then getting into the LPO do you remember that journey and was the LPO your choice destination it was my goal for many years yeah my parents used to bring us to concerts here at the festival and um I really liked the first horn of the LPO, Nicholas Bush, and he was my hero. And I sort of tried to model my playing on him. So that was my goal. And then um, when I left the academy, I went to Iceland for two years. And then when I came back, I joined the Royal Ballet, touring around, playing Coppelia countless times. And then I got in the English National Opera as second horn. And then a job came up here and um, I got it which was great. Oh, that must have been an absolute celebration. It was really nice doing a trial because I knew how Nick played everything. I knew how he played all the solos, where he took his breaths. and So it was very easy for me to sit and play next to him. See, do your due diligence. That's that's a really good tip. And to you then, Laura, what was your journey to then finally getting your seat? I feel like I took a longer way around than some people. I don't know. I I started the bass quite late, so... I started when I was 16 and wasn't entirely sure whether I wanted to do the music college route. So I went to university in Nottingham and then I took a gap year and worked in Cafe Nero in Wrexham in my hometown for a year to save up 
you know, for my master's. And I'd get, I'd get the train down every two weeks to London to have a lesson with Kevin, the principal bass here. I'd also previously had lessons with another bass player here, Richard Lewis, Welsh bass player who taught me on youth orchestra. So I had that kind of LPO connection in my early learning of the instrument. And um, yeah, I, I started freelancing. I did freelance here. And then I got a job in Liverpool, at Royal Liverpool Film. And I was there for a couple of years before getting the job at LPO. But I'd say it's been such a lovely journey to get here. And I, I would say, similar to Gareth, I think I always... I just so enjoyed it here. And the vibe of the orchestra is so friendly. I always felt like, yeah, people kind of make you feel like you belong here. Again, I was really happy to join when I did. It is a true family. And tell me a bit then now about the hierarchy of the horn section, because you said you joined Mm. as second horn. I like the idea of a promotion to fourth horn. But then you also have principal horn. So is there a sort of like a false hierarchy in the numbers or how does it work? Well, there's high and low horn players. So First and third play high, second and fourth play low, basically. That's how it sort of works. And so it's not based on ability as such, it's just well, based on... Well, the first one has to be the strongest and invincible, sort of uh, bulletproof player. And the rest of us carry on as we can, basically. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like a, a real team, a real team effort. And yeah. Four horns together, that's a beautiful sound. <laughs> so now the controversial question. As you know, this is called Youth Versus Experience. Do you feel that playing a musical instrument in general gets better with age? Or do you think it's about the type of work you do, the amount of work you do? Where do you think experience and youth equate? I suppose I can only speak from my own personal experience. In my opinion, whatever age you are, I think you can't... Just because, say, you get to a particular point in your career, that doesn't mean then that that's it, you've made it and you stay kind of stagnant. Mm. In my mind, it's good to always have a sense of growth and progression and and learning. And one of the great things about our industry is that there is such a wide age range, even just within our orchestra. And I think that means that, you know, coming in as a young person, you get exposed to speaking to people that could be 20, 30 years older than you. And one thing I've noticed is that the older players that I really respect are ones that have kept their chops up and they're still you know learning or going home and playing a different instrument or still doing little projects outside and that's certainly something that I aspire to. And Gareth we can see you know it's not necessarily about age and experience where do you think the term of becoming a better musician comes from is it the amount of gigs you've done the experience you've had your age I think just learning how to cope with your own problems and I've noticed as I get older, it takes longer to recover from strenuous playing. Like if my lips get bruised, then they're not going to be right the next day, so I have to take it easy. And I'm not good at taking it easy because I like to get stuck in, basically. But I should. I should back off and, and let my chops recover these days, which, which I didn't used to have to worry about at all. That's interesting. It is, you know, our bodies progress. Yeah. Uh, and it, it does take its toll a, bit, a, lot, a lot quicker, doesn't it? Joining the orchestra, you've spoken there, Laura, about how friendly the orchestra is. And, you know, I do believe it's a family. I've, I've seen it and I've felt it. For the younger players joining, 
is there still a sense of, I don't know, musical intimidation, if you like, for people that have been in the orchestra for years and sort of before you were born, I've been in this seat. Is there that feeling or reverence and respect? What is it? Well, if I think about, I don't know, when I was fresh out of college and going into orchestras and coming into LPO, it is a sense of, I don't know, if you're rocking up to play Tchaikovsky's Fifth Symphony, which is something that everyone has played before mm-hmm. unless you're fresh out of college and mm-hmm. um you know you can obviously prepare and learn it at home but there is still a certain amount of i don't know say there's a like playing around with tempo and stuff that's a fairly standard thing that a lot of conductors do everyone else knows that and you don't and yeah i suppose maybe it could be quite intimidating and then that also depends on the orchestra that you're going into and their sure. attitude as well so and what do you see, Gareth, about sort of the new school of artists that's joining the orchestra? Do they have a different approach to their trials or when they get their seat to integrating themselves in the orchestra? They seem to take it very seriously, more so than when I was a young lad. We used to fool around quite a lot. <laughs> so that's a bit disappointing. You'd like to see more sort of um, humour coming out of the younger players. Do you think that's because it's more competitive than it used to be, or is it the same? Yeah, when I started... A blindborn in particular was lots of fun because we were hidden away, couldn't be seen, and it's very relaxed. The conductor Bernard Heitink used to like having fun around him, so it was nice, yeah. But now we we're on we're on display and we, we have to behave. Do you ever try to pull that out of the new recruits though to say enjoy it, enjoy the journey? Not, no, not <laughs> really. <laughs> keep it stern. Yeah, keep it yeah. The bass section are good at having fun. I don't know if you've yeah, it's quite going. a young section, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is it? true that conductors have got nicer through the ages? It's been up and down. I think each one's individual. Kurt Mazur used to be quite scary, but he was fine, sort of underneath. And when you say scary, in what sense? When he'd, he'd suddenly shout at something, to, he thought everyone was falling asleep. Yeah, and he'd glare at you. And basically he was sort of quite friendly, really, to the horns, because we had a, such a strong horn section, he was happy. I think I've heard stories from Richard Lewis, my old teacher, who used to be here, saying that Mazur used to kind of get the back desk of yeah. a string section to play something on their own, and they'd live in constant... <laughs> but you don't get that. Yeah, you don't well, want to be singled really out by a conductor and asked to play on your own, yeah. especially if you're a fourth horn, because you're not used to doing that. <laughs> or, or a number eight bass. Yeah, yeah that would be horrible, wouldn't it? <laughs> And and do you feel that the conductors are nice? There was a a recent article uh, in The Times uh, saying that, you know, Ed Gardner and Karina Kanellakis are a new breed of nice conductors. Would you agree with that? I mean, yeah, I I think so. I think I've only ever had one experience in my career of a conductor kind of singling me out. And that was, to be fair, because I had a separate part to the rest of the section, but I was a new trialist and first time in the orchestra and she made me rehearse something with bassoons Mm. and I came off I thought I kind of didn't think that much of it but then came off and someone said oh he he always does that with new people in like picks them out okay I mean that's the only time yeah so actually yeah I think conductors probably are quite more respectful now and maybe it's a different working environment yeah and it does seem that that way in terms of the working environment and how collaborative it is and how about considerations to the modern lifestyle family mental well-being do you feel that that's changed in your time well it has a major impact if things are not going well at home then it ends up in your playing it seems to me 
you have difficulty concentrating if you're worried about your mother in her care home and all that. Mm. So those things do sort of prey on your mind, even if you're not aware they are. Mm. How do you feel about that, Laura, sort of the new, the new school of working with people, really, and the work-life balance is a conversation that's continual? Yeah, um, well, with regards to work-life balance, I'm not sure... I don't know whether we have that or not. I think it comes and goes, you know, if we have post-COVID now, a nice busy season. I think pre-Christmas, autumn, winter, we were very busy. And I think there was one point I looked in my diary, I was like, ooh, 14 days without a day off and then one day off and then we're here. But that's that's okay because it's just part of the lifestyle and mm. you get into a routine with it. But it does mean then that, you realise, oh, I haven't done this thing at home and I haven't done this bit of life admin and I haven't seen my family. And But then we had a nice time off at, at Christmas, which yeah. I think really made up for that busy period, mm. you know. And I went back to Wrexham and was like, wow, I think I actually went home twice last year, which isn't like me. I'm a bit of a home bird and yeah. like to get back. So, yeah, work-life balance comes and goes, but it's but, part of the job that yeah. you, you know that, I think, before you come into it. Absolutely so. All right, there's some elements of orchestra life that I'd like to see sort of how the pace has, has changed along the way. Start with the important one, drinking culture. Right? <laughs> <laughs> now, you said, Gareth, you know, in the earlier days, musicians like to have a jolly and, you know, have, have a good laugh. That communing with each other and, and bonding, if you like, which I guess happens a lot in the artist bar and things like that, has it changed in any way and how has it changed? We were never a sort of heavy drinking horn section, which really pleased me because I can't really drink. I get drunk so quickly <laughs> and I have terrible hangovers. So I was really delighted that nobody sort of drank before concerts in this band, maybe after, but um, I'd have been all over the place if I'd had a couple of drinks. Mm-hmm. You like me. Yeah. <laughs> so that was a relief for me that there wasn't a pressure to drink in this orchestra, whereas in like freelance sort of stuff before I joined the LPO, sometimes you would drink far too much before playing and that is there is that word pressure mm. I've experienced that when I was freelancing yeah. where you feel I don't know if people in jobs are in the routine if they go for dinner and they buy wine they have this and they have that you feel like you're trying to navigate I mean some people can drink and play and that's fine they can do them but I'm certainly one of those people that can't, can't drink <laughs> and play I think it's good in this orchestra that that doesn't really seem to be a part of our mm. culture. You know, the bass section say we don't drink before concerts. Yeah. And I remember somebody asked a trumpet, like, how do you play when you've had so much to drink? So, well, I practice after I've had so much to drink. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what about the repertoire? How has that changed throughout the time? I'll start with you first. Well, it's a core repertoire, which we still do, but not as much, I guess. And um, then there was a lot of Vladimir's repertoire, which was different for us. Which makes a nice change, actually, to play something different. Some of it was very hard. But you manage. Take it home and practice. And... <laughs> Not after a drink, mind. <laughs> practice, yeah. <laughs> I suppose there's um, a change now also that you get with a new principal conductor, you know. We're now doing new things that Ed's bringing to the table. So More English music with Ed. Yeah, we're doing... Which I love. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We've got a lot of Elgar symphonies coming up, haven't we? A lot more contemporary music as well, particularly last season, which is another different challenge in another sense. (laughs) And Gareth, is there a piece of music that you remember playing from when you first joined that you still play now? And what's your sort of association with that piece of music through the time? 
I suppose the Brahms symphonies are always a joy to play because the horn parts are so well written. He really understood how horns work and, and where they should be placed within a chord, it seems to me. So it's always a joy to do those over and over again. And what about the balance of works, of concerts versus recording, touring versus education work? Has that changed in the time? I mean, I know the education work is really important. Was it the same in the early stages? Yeah, it's always been education work, but there's um, less recording than there used to be. We're not as busy. When I first joined, it was relentless. It would go on, like you said, 14, it'd be like months, well, a whole month without really? a day off. And there'd be two sessions a day, sometimes three. So it was like, well, wow. And you'd turn up and there'd be people asleep on the floor at a session because yeah. they haven't had a rest. Alpio did all the Lord of the Rings. Yeah, the Rings, and then right? went down to Glyndebourne. Lord of the Rings in the morning and down to Glyndebourne. Wow. Some of that was going on. Do you think there was feedback from the musicians as to why that hasn't happened again or it doesn't happen as much now? I think we just understand that lots has already been recorded it doesn't need to be done again and conductors don't have recording contracts like they used to. Mm. Probably just the economics of it. Yeah, I think we all understand that. So what skills are required for the modern musician, do you think? You know, now it's more than turn up and play, isn't it? There's so much more to the life of a musician. It's not, it doesn't have to be a linear route, I suppose. Of you don't need to go to music college and get a job in an orchestra, and that's what you do. You can branch off. You know, there's so many musicians that don't follow this particular route that Gareth and I have. So it is good to be diverse in that sense. There's obviously the the stuff to do with outreach and education. You know, it's a very good skill to have to be able to walk into a room of. 30 school children and and be able to create something with them if they've got no experience maybe playing an instrument and then you've also got are you just gonna play or can you do some stuff that's like could you kind of act as well in theater and things like that or you know I remember doing collaborations with uh, London Contemporary Dance School when I was studying so I suppose it's like the more you do maybe the more confidence you'll have to branch out into different things if you choose to you know, like some of my friends that were on South Bank Symphonia that I did at, after music college some of them did some stuff at the National Theatre and they all had to memorise and kind of walk around and act and that's something that would be totally alien to, yes. to me but I think if you train in that and the more you do it you know the more options you have I suppose in your career kind of more of a portfolio career very true very true Let's talk about some of the practicalities then, because, you know, technology has changed since you've been here, Gareth. I mean, how did they used to give you your schedule when you joined versus now? And is it easier to communicate with the different departments of the orchestra, schedules being booked, being paid? Has it got easier? I think so, yeah, because I have it all on my phone now, so <laughs> I get sent um, the schedule by email. And it used to be typed out on sheets of paper and used to have it in the whole case. But now it's just all on the phone and um, I can do everything from there, really. It'd be really handy if we had a little button we could click that would upload the schedule onto our phone calendar. That would be, that would be the great, next level yeah. up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We haven't quite got there yet. No. Well, put that on the, uh, yeah. on the feedback list. I like yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> I cal sync. Yeah, 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 I mean, yeah, some orchestras do it, but we're, we're still getting there, I think, with that one. That's good. Well, there's still time <laughs> <laughs> on the podcast where things and need to go. Anyone on the board listening? Yes. <laughs> well... They do indeed <laughs> listen. And is there anything sort of in the future where, you know, things are done a certain way now that you could see evolving and becoming easier or different? 
with the orchestra? Well, recruitment, I suppose, is one major thing the orchestra's been looking at. How do you make that fair process? Actually, even just from sending a CV in, it's like, is the name on there or not? Mm. Um, Names generally not their anonymous CVs. Some orchestras do screened auditions, but here at LPO, I think the consensus has been not to do that because it the visual kind of... It's not just about what you're hearing. It's good to see, too. By screen, do you mean? Uh, yeah, there would just be a screen and you're not allowed to talk and you, they, the panel tell you what to play. And, but I think we're even starting doing CV, maybe as... I might be wrong on this, I'm guesstimating 30-second recording or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And then they'll get invited to audition to try and make it that you're not looking at, oh, this person studied there and has done this or how old are they or, you know, all of that stuff to try and... So I think that process of recruiting, we are trying to change and make it more mm. equal now so that people from many different backgrounds... That change mm. can help make those effects and, mm. and other things as well. Auditions are different... Bass players have told me that they used to walk in and you wouldn't actually know what you were going to play. Mm. They wouldn't play concertos. They'd just learn all the standard excerpts, walk in and then be asked some excerpts. Whereas now, generally, you have to play two concertos, probably with cadenza, and then you will have a set book of excerpts. So you know exactly what you're going to play. They won't necessarily ask you everything. Mm. And it's probably totally different for horn but the fact that bass players never used to have to play solo repertoire in auditions and now they do why do you think there was that change i think probably the industry got more competitive and so it was another way of probably distinguishing between players you know if you can come in and play solo repertoire and your exits that puts you stands you above somebody who can't necessarily do that so very true perhaps and what motivates you fear (laughs) <laughs> that's it didn't even need to finish the question uh, in what way well you've got to be on form otherwise you're going to make a fool of yourself so try to avoid that but then some people run away from fear so what what motivates mm. you to keep on going keep on playing oh i love playing the horn i mean yeah, uh, yeah i mean I'll, if i'm not doing anything at home I'll, I'll play my horn all day and enjoy it i mean i could spend half an hour practicing one note sometimes just to get it right sounds a bit sad but there it you go. doesn't at all <laughs> no it sounds fully immersive i love it so do you feel that you're still getting something out of being a member of the lpo yeah, both as a musician the, and as a member yeah no it's, addictive. it's addictive and i'm obsessed with it <laughs> i love it <laughs> that's the strap line that's yeah. the advertising <laughs> line for that one and how about you what keeps you going turning up keep pushing the boundaries of what you can do with your instrument well like gareth said just playing the bass is one of the main things and the music that we play i just really you know any kind of juicy Mahler or shosko which i'm so into it i live for those gigs playing with you know within our section i think that keeps me going we've got really fabulous members and our freelancers that come in fantastic so also like competition i think i like that that's one of the things that made me want a job in a london orchestra is i felt that the competition is there and because we have freelancers coming in all the time you know Mm. it kind of mixes things up a little bit and that's another thing that yeah makes me tick i think And in terms of your personal life then, we've spoken about the work-life balance, but what are some of the things that interests outside of the orchestra that 
keep you going and, and where do you find the time? I mean, you've just outlined there how busy things can be. Yeah. What sort of interest do you have outside of the orchestra? Oh, I've got a new one. I started getting into like reading about permaculture farming, which is like kind of closed system where you're as self-sufficient as possible. And then I went and volunteered on a farm last year because the way it just worked out with the string strengths in Glyndebourne, I actually had, I think, maybe two months in the summer, on and off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I spent three weeks volunteering at this farm in Dorset, and then I went back again to volunteer for another two weeks. And I just had the most fantastic time that we've organised to do a Beethoven septet with some friends from the LPO there at Easter. And I'm hoping to volunteer there again. I've got two weeks off in August that I've kind of earmarked, so that's oh. kind of my new little kind of interest oh, that's that fantastic following. i love how the the interest and and the profession collide that's really good yeah oh yeah. all the best enjoy that <laughs> and how about yourself Gareth? Um, what kind of interest do you have i guess one thing leads to another i used to be interested i sort of read some books about sort of new age philosophy and psychic sort of things yes. and i read a lot of that and i thought oh, wouldn't that be nice if it were true then I, well, let's find out. So I went and joined the College of Psychic Studies in South Kensington, did a couple of years training there. Wow. And I thought, this is all a bit airy-fair, I need to ground myself. So I signed up for a philosophy degree at Middlesex University, wow. did a BA in applied philosophy to sort of ground myself, and then started reading Plato, and he was pretty spiritual and psychic type thing, it seemed to be. And then I found doing the degree that I really liked writing essays, so then I thought, well, why don't I write something for myself? So I started writing screenplays, which um, completely overtook my life for about three or four years. Yes. And I wrote ten screenplays in that time. That's amazing. And are you still writing now? No, it just suddenly stopped. I was writing one. I thought, oh, I've got to write something commercial that they'd want to buy. So, and then it just became cliched. And I thought, don't want to write this. <laughs> Stop doing it. And, and I haven't had any ideas that I want to do now. That's fascinating. And so maybe what, it'll start, I don't know. I read somewhere also that you liked inventing stuff. Oh, yeah, I used to want to try and invent the widget that was going to mean I could give up playing the horn. <laughs> 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 Didn't happen. <laughs> I love the concept, I do. <laughs> do you think it's important to have those interests outside? Is it important to step away or is it quite nice to be immersed? Both, in a way. I mean, sometimes if you, when I was writing my philosophy essays, sometimes I'd be at Glyndebourne and just sort of thinking about the philosophy and not know where I was in the music at all. <laughs> Look at the pace, oh God. Yeah, yeah. And maybe it ebbs and flows as well. You know, you have times yeah. where you do want to just focus on your instrument and on music, and then other times where you feel you might want to step back, and yeah. and it all kind of can interconnect as well. Mm. So, like, volunteering on the farm I mean I took my bass down and ended up playing for like the Morris band and then having a jam with the farmer who's a really fantastic blues guitarist wow. <laughs> you know you can do other things and it can still always circle back because I guess if you we started doing music because it's something that you're interested in and then you find something else and then you make time to do these things yeah. because it kind of I suppose they give you life in a way don't they so they absolutely do. <laughs> and so this is now my, my tricky question to end. We've spoken about the whole journey. Retirement. How do you retire from a symphony orchestra? When? Why? And what would you do afterwards? It's a big question. See if you can just, like, pinpoint for me. <laughs> Have you thought about it, Gareth? Yeah, I think about it a lot, and I don't know when, really. If I can't play anymore, then, you know, I'd stop straight away. 
but I enjoy it so much I'm going to keep on a little bit longer. And how about yourself, Laura? No particular age in mind. I think I'd like to keep, you know, I just want to play. And I also don't want to be playing to a point where, I don't know, there's younger people sat next to me like, bloody hell, actually. <laughs> yeah, Laura, recently. You know, so I'd rather, like, I'd rather, like, know when it's time. <laughs> and also, like, <laughs> that's why I think it's good to have other interests because... I don't want to see it as this, like, you retire and then that's it. Like, you have said, Gareth, like, just keep learning other things. Mm. And But I suppose that time for retirement is different for every person, which is probably why we don't have a retirement age, actually. Thank goodness. Yeah. Mm. yeah. yeah. Well, thank you for projecting yourselves into the future. Back <laughs> to the current. Mm-hmm. Enjoy the now. And thank you so much for sharing with me on LPR thank Stage. Thanks, Yolanda. Well, that's it for now from LPO Offstage with me, Yolanda Brown. Thanks so much to Laura Murphy and Gareth Mollison for revealing the full spectrum of experience across generations in the orchestra. Please get in touch on social media, Twitter, Instagram, and thank you so much for listening. Do join me for the next episode of LPO Offstage, where we'll be diving into Beethoven's Eroica with conductor Karina Kanalakis and meeting the LPO's newest and youngest horn player, Anne-Marie Fredele. I can't wait. <laughs>